What's up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods, and we are back with another episode, man, continuing our ACC in 28 Days theme here. We're joined by the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, who is also the co-host of the Carolina Insider Podcast. I just want to say I appreciate you coming on today. Oh, Zach, man, excited to be here, excited to talk a little Tar Heels, and uh, glad to do it. Uh, Fired up to talk. For sure. I mean, I've been deemed as my co-host is dealing with some stuff right now. So he's been away, but he's dubbed me the a secret uh, undercover Carolina fan right behind my Auburn Tigers. <laughs> I'm, I, every single chance I get, I'm real high on this team. I picked them to go undefeated this year, actually. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of critiques for that from people. But let's start with this past season in which we saw this team finish 8-4, and four, but they were a top-10 team until mid-October in that Florida State game. Did this season meet, exceed, or just kind of fall short of your preseason expectations? You know, Zach, it's hard because I think this was just such a weird year, really, for everybody. And so, yeah, I, I think certainly Carolina expected to take a step forward um, this season. I think things got a little out of whack early in the year when Carolina got all the way to number five in the country. Um, yeah, it was the SEC wasn't playing yet. The Big Ten wasn't playing yet. So, I mean, it just – you didn't have a, a real full body of work nationally, and I think that was too high for Carolina. Um, but I thought in total the, the Tar Heels had a pretty darn good season. There are a couple games – I mean, the Florida State game, uh, the Virginia game that they like to have back. I think Carolina was better than those two teams uh, this past year. But I also think this is a team that's still – figuring out how to be a really good team. It's worth remembering that, you know, Carolina only won five total games in the two previous years combined before Mac Brown uh, returned to Chapel Hill. And so it, it just was a team that hasn't been used to being in that conversation a lot, at least as of late. And so um, I think you saw some growth this year from Carolina. I, th- I think the Tar Heels did learn from those experiences and in the Virginia game, in the Florida State game. Um, and then you, you get to the end of the year, and you know, three of Carolina's final four games were against really highly rated teams. And they had that game against Notre Dame that was close, you know, one-score game until the very end. Notre Dame scored a touchdown there in the final five minutes or so uh, to eventually win it by two scores. Um, then you saw a couple weeks later, Carolina come back and absolutely just blast Miami uh, down in Miami for a, a really impressive victory um, that day. And then Carolina was right there with Texas A&M until the very end of the bowl game in a game in which, you know, it didn't have their uh, one of their best wide receivers, their top two running backs and one of their best defensive players due to them opting out. So I think in total, Zach, this was a year that Carolina felt really good about a couple of opportunities that they'd like to have back, but I think this is still a program in the process of getting to where it wanted to go or wants to go, and I think this past season was a a big step in the right direction for them. I I agree. I I feel like me and some of the other national pundits may have been a year too early on this team, especially in a COVID year. Who knows what could have happened if there was a full offseason for Sam Howell to get more comfortable. People forget – He's only a sophomore, or he was only was a sophomore, and there was high expectations. That's who I want to shift with, uh, shift to is I've been deemed the head of the Sam Howell fan club. I said that he should have been a Heisman favorite this year. 
I think arguably you could say he's the best quarterback in the country coming into this year in terms of pure talent. I know that sounds like a stretch to some people, but this kid is always has been on my radar since his freshman year. There's been some weeks, though, this past season where he kind of struggled. Those two interceptions early against Syracuse, there were some times early in the Florida State game he didn't look like look like himself per se. What makes Howell such a special quarterback in your opinion, and what do you think his full potential could be? Yeah, first, let me go back to to some of those performances that you're talking about. So, you know, I mean, I think the Syracuse game, I think that's almost one that you that you have to throw out. I mean, the Tar Heels won yeah. pretty easily in that game. It is week one where no one's going to be at their very best. And again, I think with all the the uniqueness of this past season, um, with that being the first game, I think I'm not sure anybody played their best game in the first game of the season, nor you know, not very often does that happen that somebody has their right. best game in the first game, particularly when you're playing a conference opponent. Um, and then, and Zach, I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but, you know, Sam did throw that pick six against Florida State and Carolina in total just really had a bad first half down in Tallahassee against the Seminoles. And then how after that, and again, I'm not going to get this number exactly right, but, you know, he, he then went something like five or six games and, you know, a boatload of attempts with, without an interception. You know, he was well above 20 touchdowns um, with no interceptions in that time period. So, um, yeah, no quarterback's going to be perfect. Um, I thought Sam had a terrific second year. His numbers weren't quite as big as year one because Carolina didn't need him to be. The, the Tar Heels right. ran the ball so effectively. Uh, with Javante Williams and Michael Carter, uh, that they did not need how to throw the ball all the time. Then when they did get in a couple situations where they needed him, most uh, I think most notably the Wake Forest game where Carolina had a big comeback in that game, um, you see that his numbers were incredible. He had six passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, um, well over 500 yards passing. I mean, just a he can do it. If Carolina just needed to hand him the ball and say, go win us the game every single time, He'd give them an opportunity to do that. That wasn't Carolina's best strategy last year because the Tar Heels <laughs> could run the ball so effectively. Now, to better answer your question, what makes him so impressive is that he is just as good off the field as he is on the field. And a big reason he is so good on the field is what he does off the field. And by that, I mean Sam Howe loves he, – he is one of those guys consumed by the game of football, and he – is only concerned with making sure he takes care of things in the classroom and making sure he's as good a football player as he can be. Those are the two things he's worried about. And so um, he studies the game. He breaks down film. He does a lot of work on his own. He has a terrific relationship with Carolina's offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, where they have gotten to that point now where I think they, they're almost the same brain when, when they're, when they're right. going through a game. I mean, I, I think they've reached that point in their relationship that they've worked so much together that he knows what Coach Longo is thinking. He knows the best options for what the Tar Heels uh, need to do with that particular piece of time. And, Zach, it's, it's been that way as far as his work ethic since before Sam Howell ever took a snap for Carolina. Remember, he won uh, the starting quarterback job as a true freshman. And I think a big reason why was the work that he had done before he ever got here. And then once he arrived in Chapel Hill before the season started, he earned the respect of his older teammates from how hard he worked. Um, and his demeanor is really, really consistent. He, you may have seen interviews with him, or and he's just a very calm, kind of flat personality 
which maybe not great at parties, but is great for what you want in your quarterback. Because even right. after he throws a pick six against Florida State, it doesn't rattle him. He, he just continues to go out there and, and keep working and keep trying to uh, get his team in the best position possible. So I think that's some of what makes him so good and his potential. I think he's – and he may – you could make the argument, and he's already this, that I think he's the best quarterback ever to play at, at Carolina – and I think by the time he leaves, whether it's after this year or two more years, you know, assuming he stays healthy, he's going to have all the records. Um, he's going to, it looks like he is sending Carolina to levels of success the Tar Heels haven't had in a long time. Um, and I think he can be the best quarterback in the conference. And as you said, I think certainly in the discussion, as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And, and he's earned that. That's not just something that people are you know, trying to make headlines or, you know, have a hot take. I, I think he's earned that type of discussion going into this season with what he's done the first two years. Yeah, I, I have no doubt there. I mean, coming into this year, I think I said he was even this year with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and all those guys. I thought he was a top probably three or four quarterback in the country coming into the year, just in terms of pure talent. He is a lot younger than someone like Lawrence or Fields, but you spoke of two guys who really set the country on fire. I didn't see it coming. I saw I had Javante Williams as my breakout player of the year, but not this. I don't think anyone saw this. They were arguably the best tandem that we have seen since I, I said Reggie Bush and um, uh, Lindell White, White at USC. Yeah. That this this is the type of level of talent that UNC had in the backfield. What was different about them this year that really helped them break out? And in terms of the NFL draft, they're both headed to the draft. Where would you rank them in this running back class with people like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and some of these other backs? Yeah, I think they're right up there in the discussion with those guys that you mentioned. And, you know, Michael Carter, I know, had a terrific senior bowl. I think he helped himself um, with the week of practice that he had in that event and then the game itself. Um, Javante Williams, uh, of course, leaving as a junior, couldn't play in the senior bowl, but he has put plenty on film uh, for uh, for what he can do. Um, you know, I think a couple reasons why they were so successful – one is it was year two in the offense with Phil Longo, and I do think Coach Longo is a proven and very successful offensive coordinator. Um, he did a really good job in finding different ways to get them the ball because he realized those were two of their best players that Carolina needed to have those guys with the football in their hands. And so, um, you know, they really, Carolina really did a lot more swing passes, bubble stuff to the running backs this year in addition to just their their traditional RPO running attack um, to get those guys the ball. And so you were able to see them progress a little bit more in year two. Everybody's more comfortable in what they're doing. They've been identified as some of the best options, and so they got the ball a little bit more. Also, right. they're, they're just both really complete backs. They can both run it. They can catch it. They can block. Um, yeah, they – they made it easy to keep them on the field because they didn't have a lot of mistakes that hurt you. And then also to credit for to those two players, they work so well together. You know, there was never any, Hey, how come he's gotten, you know, I ran the ball to the three yard line. How come he's getting the ball now to try to score the touchdown? There, there was never any of that between the two of them. I think they understood that they were better together that, that when the other one was having success, that helped. Uh, when Michael Carter was having success, that would help Javante Williams and vice versa. Because, hey, if Michael Carter can go out there and go as hard as he can go for five plays, 
and then Javante Williams can come in and do the exact same thing, that's difficult on an opposing defense, and that will eventually wear them down. So in theory, both those guys continue to have success. So I think they understood that. They, uh, there was no jealousy, and, and you saw both of them be able to really flourish because of, uh, because of it. And so just, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think there, there have been some unbelievable tandems in Carolina football history in the backfield. You know, there was Leon and Curtis Johnson in the 90s. Um, before my time, there was Amos Lawrence and Kelvin Bryant, who both went on uh, to, to terrific careers at Carolina and beyond. Um, but I think the Michael Carter, Javante Williams duo would challenge any duo that you could come up with in Carolina history. And, and I think at least statistically, when, when you look at their numbers, when you look at some of the analytics um, from this past year as well, that they were as good as any running back duo as we've seen in college football here in, in, in recent years. And so, gosh, I hope they both have a ton of success. <laughs> I think they'll both be driving mean, with running backs. You don't see running backs, you know, super early anymore in the NFL draft, but I, I would certainly think they would be second, third round kind of guys and, and hopefully have terrific careers. Yeah, I think the last rankings released by Pro Football Focus had Javante Williams number two over Najee Harris. It was Travis Etienne. He seems to kind of be the consensus number one pick, which I, I don't hate that, but I think Javante Williams can hang with any of them. Michael Carter, I think, is an every down back because of his size. He doesn't get hurt. And like you said, they can go against anyone. I mean, my co-host compared them to Cadillac and Ronnie Brown back from Auburn back in 04 because yeah. they're two different skill sets. I love it. But let's talk about some players that are going to be new. National Signing Day wrapped up a week or so ago. The Tar Heels, a top 15 class, man. That is so impressive for where this program was a few years back. Absolute stud in Keyshawn Silver. We saw Drake May decommit from Alabama, now come into Chapel Hill. What are your thoughts on this class, and which of these players do you see making an immediate impact on campus? Yeah, it's a great question, and I know Carolina was really excited about this class. As you mentioned, it was highly ranked on the national level. I think it was um, it, it was really a showcase as well for the first real class where Mac Brown and his staff had been established, been able to build some relationships over time and, and show what that they could do uh, on the recruiting trail. Now, of course, recruiting is so uh, odd right now because of COVID restrictions and just the, you know, no camps and no travel and visits and, right. and all the different things. But, um, you know, the Tar Heels really excited about this class. It's a very balanced class. If I have it correct, it was nine on offense, nine on defense of the 18 guys who signed. And in fact, they uh, signed one more defender, um, Belfour or Balfour, his last name uh, out of Florida here in the, the second signing day. So there may be one more defensive player now um, in that class. They had, I, Gosh, Zach, I think it was either 12 or 13 of them that came in early um, yeah. that can already on campus and that are going to go through spring ball with the Tar Heels, which is always a big difference maker as well. Um, to me, the biggest impact of this class is on the defensive side. And, and you've seen with the Tar Heels the last two years, you know, the defense hasn't been bad, but the offense has been ahead of where the defense has been for Carolina. Um, and part of that is just the Tar Heels had better personnel on the offensive side of the ball. That's what Mac Brown inherited. We talked about Javante Williams and Sam Howell and Michael Carter and, you know, De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsome. And, you know, there were some really good players on that side of the ball. Um, Carolina was, again, not bad on defense, but did not have that same level of depth 
talent and experience on the defensive side. So I think the coaches have really been working to build those things on defense. And you see that in this class, uh, you know, you see it with, you mentioned Keyshawn Silver, a guy that Carolina is really excited about uh, power Eccles, a, a linebacker that they think will be really good. Rara Dillsworth, another linebacker that they think can really help early on um, in his career at Carolina. And so uh, to me, that that's where to keep an eye on things out of this class is who can be an impact player on defense because I think they'll have a chance to do that. Um, now, Carolina does have you know some freshmen from last year, Tony Grimes, Shaquarius Conley in the secondary, some young guys that they think will play a lot. Um, and you've got that opening at running back, quite honestly. I, I think that is one of the bigger positions of question right now uh, for Carolina is who will take over some of those carries with Carter and Williams moving on. Um, the Tar Heels did have a, a couple of freshmen, including DJ Jones, who they think is really good, got hurt late in the year. This past season, they have two commitments coming in um, at the running back spot and got a transfer from Tennessee as well. So, you know, I think that'll be another position where you could potentially see um, a freshman play early for the Tar Heels is at running back. Um, You mentioned Drake May, you know, fantastic player. Certainly the Tar Heels hope he doesn't have to play a lot this year um, because they want to see Sam Howell taking every meaningful snap that there is. Um, But I do think Drake May will be in competition with Jacoby Criswell, a, a talented freshman from last year, on who will be that backup. And so, you know, who who will earn those backup snaps at that position? I think Drake May is in that conversation. So, um, you know, there, and there were a bunch of receivers, too. They had a J.J. Jones, a tall receiver. They had some fast slot guys. So I, I think it was just a really complete class that Carolina felt helped them in a lot of places, particularly talent-wise on the defensive side. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's been funny because, you know, I, we talked earlier how I was a graduate from Auburn. I follow Auburn recruiting really hard. North Carolina and Auburn have been in on the same players these last few years. So I'm so jealous about um, – you mentioned Balfour. Auburn was his number two. That kid's a stud, even though he might not be the highest rated. Right. I, I believe it's Desmond Evans last year, defensive end. He's going to be a stud. And like you said, Tony Grimes was my favorite prospect from last year's class. I believe they clocked him in high school – like running up like his max speed was just some outrageous number that outdid anyone at the senior bowl this year the kids are just a monster and i think interestingly about grimes remember he actually is uh, technically was part of this recruiting class for carolina he graduated early from high school because he's from uh the the virginia beach area and the state of Virginia said it was not going to play high school football this uh, this past season. So Tony was really close to graduating already, went ahead and took a class or two online that he needed to to be able to come to Chapel Hill early. And so I think having him here early, so he'll essentially be a freshman again next season because of the, right. the free year of eligibility that everybody has. Now, whether or not Tony Grimes will be here more than three years, <laughs> who knows. But um, I think the way that Carolina handled his year was attractive to recruits because here is a highly recruited kid that got a chance to play, but Carolina didn't push him into anything. He was a high school senior. So of course he wasn't ready right at the beginning of the season, but he was able to kind of just work through the year, start to get some more reps, see some special teams uh, opportunities. And then by the end of the season, all of a sudden he's starting at one of the cornerback spots, has an interception in the Miami game, had a couple of big plays in the Orange Bowl against Texas A&M. And so I think being able to show that to prospects and say, hey, we're not going to push you into anything crazy, but if you can do this and you can grow and you're ready to play, we're also not going to keep you off the field. And so um, I do think that that was a good case study for Carolina 
to show recruits how they can handle elite talent so that they can show them, hey, this is this is how we handle players that are talented like you are. Yeah, I, I like that take. I've totally forgot. Yeah, I forgot he went ahead and graduated and played early. That's that that shows how athletic and talented the kid is to be able to step into that level. But I want to talk more about Mac Brown here. I mean, let's just say, I mean, his second stint in Chapel Hill, probably the most accomplished one of the most accomplished coach coaches in the country in terms of just the history of college football and he's done an outstanding job at every stop throughout his career what does he, what does he mean to Chapel Hill in this program and do you think he can bring a national championship here well that's certainly the goal Zach uh, for sure and and he's done it before of course at Texas <laughs> and you know in his first tenure in Chapel Hill when he left Carolina was was a top 10 program as last year the Heels went 11 and 1 um, so he certainly has, as you said, has proven it um, at different stops along the way that, that he knows how to win at an elite level. Um, I think the interesting thing about Mac Brown, it, the hiring of Mac Brown at Carolina, is my guess is the, the farther away from Chapel Hill you got, the more you scratched your head when that, uh, when that was announced that Carolina was hiring Mac Brown to be the head coach. I think a lot of people thought, wait, you know, I thought Coach Brown was out of coaching. You know, he was on ESPN all the time. So everybody knew who he was, but I think most everybody thought he was kind of out of the game at that point. Um, but he obviously very clearly wasn't. <laughs> and why it made so much more sense here in Chapel Hill is because of what his strengths are, number one, which were things that Carolina badly needed at the time. They, they needed a coach uh, with really strong PR ability. They needed a coach who could rebuild some relationships with high school coaches in the state of North Carolina. And they needed a coach that could bring some credibility to the position. And that's I'm not trying to say something negative about Larry Fedora, who was here beforehand. Carolina's program had just gotten to that point where they needed some kind of infusion of energy and they needed those things from their head coach. Well, Mac Brown does all those things to a T, in addition to being a terrific coach and understanding football and all those different things. Um, also, and to me, Zach, this is probably the most important point. In college athletics, the fit between a coach and the university and the town and all of those things is is so much more important, I think, than in professional sports. I, I just think right. you have to have a coach who understands the uniqueness of each town, university, place. Carolina is different than Auburn. There's just going to be different challenges at the two places. They're not, I mean, both places want to win, but there's some different ways and important things to the two places. It Everywhere's just different. Well, Mac Brown already understood Carolina because he had been here you know, for a decade plus earlier. Um, right. All the people around Carolina already knew Mac Brown. It's funny, you know, he always tells the story. One of the vice chancellors of the university used to hold his back when headset still had cords on the sideline, used to be holding his cord of his headset when he was the head coach here the first time. So he already had all these uh, relationships, all this knowledge of the place, of the state, of the town of the challenges at Carolina, he already knew all of that. So it wasn't like there was a coach that came in and it took a couple of years for him to, outside of football, understand all the other stuff that you have to understand when you're the head coach. He already knew all of that. And so um, when he came in with that knowledge, with his ability to, to build relationships, I, I think, and by getting Sam Howell, 
I think all of those things just accelerated the rebuild for Carolina off the field and on the field. And and then last point on this, I I think it's really helped Carolina on something we just talked about. That's the recruiting trail is that coach Brown is such an excellent recruiter. I think he's one of the best recruiting head coaches that there is in college football. He's right up there. I think with the top two or three guys, whoever you think that is. Um, So he is so good at that part of it. And he brought in a staff that understood the state of North Carolina, you know, whether that's Dre Bly who played here, whether that's Tommy Thigpen who played at Carolina, whether that's Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator who had recruited the Charlotte area previously at other stops, Lonnie Galloway played at Western Carolina and recruited the state at previous stops where he had been. And so um, I think he built a staff with that very much in mind because Carolina, Mac Brown says this all the time, Carolina's recruiting footprint is D.C. to Atlanta. And they'll go to Florida every now and then, and if there's a, a national recruit that makes a lot of sense, then, then they'll do that. But the Tar Heels aren't going to go to California a whole bunch. They aren't going to be a, a massive national recruiting program. They can be good enough, conference championship, college football playoff good enough, if they can dominate that D.C. to Atlanta area. And I think he built his staff with that in mind. And really, you've seen it so far uh, in the results, both on the recruiting trail and on the field. Yeah, I agree. And I was not one of those people when they hired Mac Brown. I said, that's going to work. I, I mean, even even though I wasn't even born when he was at his first stint, like I knew about it. I knew the success, the success he had. And I grew up watching him build Texas. I remember being young, watching that Vince Young team win the national title. It was my favorite teams to watch when I was little. So I, I, I love that. I love the hire when it happened. But I want to shift to this next season. We know some significant contributors are off to the draft. We've talked about some of them. Who are some players that you expect to have a breakout season this year? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, obviously Sam Howell is going to be where it starts and, and finishes probably for the Carolina offense. As we talked about earlier, I do think he's one of the better players, not just in the ACC, but but in the country. Um, and what a luxury that is to have uh, an accomplished player, a veteran player um, at that court and a talented player at the quarterback position. Right. So, you know, I think that's number one. Um, yeah, Carolina does lose a lot, you know, just between uh, the three players that had opted out of the bowl game. You know, that was 4,000 yards of offense right there just between those three guys. <laughs> Plus Daz Newsom, uh, who was Carolina's slot receiver, was the second leading receiver this past year. So you're losing a lot of talent there at, at receiver and at running back. Um, I do think Carolina feels pretty good about what it has at the receiver spot. Um, Choffrey Brown, who is Diami's little brother, um, is a really talented athlete. He he played some last year, um, had some big catches. He he is explosive like Deami Brown was, can really stretch the field, um, can just be a guy who's a one move and then run past you kind of player. Um, and so I, I think he's somebody who to, to keep your eye out for. Uh, Josh Downs is a really talented uh, player for Carolina in the slot. He had a big bowl game against Texas A&M, had a couple of, of big catches in that game. Um, he was just behind a, a veteran player in Daz Newsom this right. past season at, at that slot position. But I think Josh Downs has the potential to really have a big season next year for Carolina. We talked about Tony Grimes on the defensive side. I think he's just a tremendous talent, somebody who really came on at the end of the year. Yeah, I kind of I said his name for a second, but Jaquarius Conley is a young a freshman. He's from the state of North Carolina out of Jacksonville. 
came on as the year went along this past year in that uh, he'd play some nickel, play some safety. Uh, I think he's going to be somebody that'll be a real impact player in that secondary for Carolina um, this year and moving forward. Um, So those are just a couple of the names, some young guys on offense and defense. Again, I think that running back spot is wide open. I'll be interested to see how that competition moves along. Um, And then one area, Zach, that we haven't talked about a ton is the offensive line. I I thought that was – the shakiest area offensively for Carolina a year ago. I thought it got better as the year went along, um, but then it kind of had a lesson against Notre Dame. When it went up and was playing one of those top three or four teams, you know, they, they got worn down, I thought, and, and beaten in the second half of that game. And so I think that was a learning experience for them. They were so dominant in the Miami game, held their own against a really good Texas A&M defense after that, and all five of those starters are back. Um, and when you have, you know this from, from covering the game, when you have an offensive line that is talented and can play together for multiple years, that's when you have something really special up front. And so I know Carolina's hoping that that unit takes a big step forward uh, this year as well. Yeah, I, I knew there was some, like a lot of young players along that line last year. And that, and if you came at UNC off the edges, that usually didn't hold up. And I feel like it forced Sam Howell into some mistakes that if he would have had one two more seconds he would not have made he would have made some plays more downfield but looking at the schedule there's tough road games Virginia Tech to open the season that is a brutal opening game I don't know what happened there but that's horrible then you got to travel to Notre Dame going to Pitt is always difficult with that stingy defense what is the ceiling and or floor you think for this 2021 team well, I certainly think that the Tar Heels feel as though they're one of the better teams in the Coastal Division. Now, I'm assuming, Zach, that, that things go back to, to normalcy this year. Of course, you remember this past year, there were no divisions in the Atlantic Coast Conference. It was just one big conference in the top two teams, which turned out to be Clemson and Notre Dame played in the ACC championship game. Notre Dame, of course, back out as well. They'll be independent with some ACC uh, games built into their schedule, including Carolina, as you mentioned. So I, I certainly think Carolina feels as though it is uh, one of the better teams in the Coastal Division and has an opportunity to win that division. Um, you mentioned at Virginia Tech to start things off. That's a tough way to start it, um, <laughs> especially if that is, you know, if if there are some amount of fans, it, you know, 50% or whatever it is for next year at the beginning, um, that'll be, you know, everybody will be excited to be back in the stadium and fired up. And, um, yeah, I think that'll be something worth watching. That's a tough way to start. I, I always think, um, that you are you are never your best in the first game. Um, it's always a benefit if you're playing one of those opening season type of games. That's one of those marquee type of games. If you have an older team with some uh, veteran players, Carolina, I don't know if you call it an older team. Tardos are kind of in the middle. Uh, most importantly, they have an older player at the quarterback spot, which I think will help them in that game. But that's a really tough way to start. You know, and, and I think one of the interesting things about this schedule, Zach, for Carolina – is that the Tarios are going to essentially, not 100%, but they'll have a really good idea of where they fall in the Coastal Division by the end of the month of October because they will have already played Virginia Tech, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke. They'll have a conference game against Florida State and Miami um, at that point um, by the end of the month of October. So their, their last uh, five games are Notre Dame, Wake Forest as a non-conference game, at Pittsburgh, then Wofford, and that in, and then at NC State. So the Heels only have two more conference games. Whoops, hold on, my lights went out. Let me get them turned back on. 
There we go. Uh, they only have two more conference games after the month of October. So I, I think th- you know, they're going to know where they stand relatively early in this upcoming season. Um, but certainly, I think Carolina is, if not the favorite, one of the two favorites uh, with Miami and the Coastal Division. Um, they, they expect that they can be an ACC championship uh, caliber team uh, to get to that championship is what I mean. And then just like everybody else in the league, they're chasing Clemson. You know, are, are they good enough yet to beat Clemson in that ACC championship game, assuming the Tigers are there on the other side? I don't know. Um, I, that's right. the goal. That's where the Tar Heels want to be. That's where everybody in the conference wants to be right now. And uh, Carolina feels like it's getting closer. Um, and so if they get that opportunity, I, I'd love to see uh, what would happen if those two met in Charlotte. But we'll have to wait and see. Hey, that was my prediction this year. You know, we're pushing real close to, you know, our time here, but I got to get these last two in because these are my sure. two favorite questions to ask people. No, you're good. I, I love talking about the environment, the special things for each campus. I'm a stadium guy. I try to get to as many stadiums as possible. What makes Chapel Hill, what makes Keenan Memorial Stadium such a unique environment on game days? I think it's how intimate the setting is uh, within the campus. You know, Keenan Stadium um, truly is in the middle of Carolina's campus. Um, and so you, you just get Chapel Hill is such a quintessential college town um, that it's this small little village almost. And now you're, you know, you've, you're starting to get, you know, Raleigh's growing and Durham's growing and Charlotte's about two hours away and it's, it's getting so big. And so, but you have this little town in Chapel Hill right in the middle of all that, um, that still has very much that, that small town college feel to it. And you've got this, you know, massive 55,000 seat stadium right in the middle of this, uh, really beautiful campus. And so, to me, that's what makes Keenan such a special place. It's a gorgeous facility. Um, you know, they just recently, Zach, a couple, two or three years ago, uh, they still had bleachers, took out all the bleachers. Now you've got individual Carolina blue seat backs, and it's such a unique color um, and such a recognizable color um, that that gives it a little cool look as well. Um, you've got the pine trees all the way around the stadium. So, they, you know, there was a, recently a book written um, by uh, Lee Pace, who does a terrific job covering Carolina, called Football in a Forest. And it was about the history of Keenan Stadium. And, and I think that's a good uh, what a great title to kind of explain what Keenan is, just kind of tucked away within all these trees, within this beautiful campus, you have your uh, football facility. So to me, that's what makes it really special. I, I want to get out there so bad. that, Like you said, the color scheme is so unique. I know some people hate on it because they don't like the blue or whatever. I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> that is the best color scheme, I think, in arguably any of the college programs. I love that. I love the Carolina blue. But last question here, you've been the voice of the Tar Heels since 2011, 2012. You've covered this area for a while. What have been your, you know, favorite or most memorable calls from the booth since you've been in North Carolina? Oh, they can be, fo- they can be football, they can be basketball, whatever just sparks, you know, like y- you'll always think about that moment. Yeah, I'll give you two. Um, one, I, I will go basketball. You know, I've been fortunate. Uh, of course, w- we understand what Carolina basketball is, and and one of the biggest programs on the national level, one of the 
two or three uh, most historic programs in that in that sport. And so, uh, you know, I've been lucky since I've been doing the play-by-play, went to two Final Fours, two national championship games, won one of them. And so anytime you can have a national championship <laughs> call, that, that's got to be one that you think about and a memory that you think about. And so that, that one's uh, really special. Um, and then also, you know, it's interesting, Zach, the, the gentleman who, who was the voice of the Tar Heels before I did it was Woody Durham. And Woody held the job for 40 years. He, he's one of the most recognizable voices and names in, in the history of, of college athletic broadcasting and was such a giant in this state. And unfortunately, we lost Woody to, to a, a devastating illness a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, I grew up listening to Woody. And so, you know, I, uh, I felt like I knew Woody before I even met him in real life because I had spent so many hours listening to him on right. the radio. And so um, I was so lucky as a young broadcaster to then work next to him for several years before his retirement. And I give you all that backstory because I think um, the football play that I'm going to bring up was the first real memorable play after Woody retired and I became the, the voice of the Tar Heels, um, which was uh, back in 2012, uh, Gio Bernard uh, ran a punt back for a touchdown against NC State. Um, and it was with under a minute to go. It was, you know, it was the game winning punt return touchdown. You just don't have game winning punt <laughs> return touchdowns very often. I know Auburn has some uh, very memorable uh, <laughs> kick returns as well, but yes. um, a punt return for a touchdown just uh, to win the game doesn't happen that very, uh, very often. Right. And so um, it was just this memorable play. And, you know, the Carolina State rivalry is a pretty nasty one. And, you know, State had won four or five in a row in, in the series at that point. And Carolina was right in the middle of some NCAA stuff that they felt like, you know, State was piling on them. And so it was just there was a lot of animosity um, and in that series at the time and still is today. But um, it was just a charged atmosphere and to win in such dramatic fashion. And that play call, for whatever reason, people really enjoyed it. And, you know, I just think it makes them think of that moment, um, which I still think certainly at least in recent history is is one of the more famous moments in, in Carolina football history in Keenan um, to Tar Heel fans. And so um, that one for me is, is when people still now, gosh, what are we, nine years later, that people still come up and, and talk to me about. And um, they say it's like people's ringtones on their cell phone and stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just crazy. But I think that's, that's really part of what I think is so special about what the opportunity that I get to do here is that I, you build relationships with fans, even though you may not necessarily know them, but you're with them through great moments. You're with them in bad moments. And you get this uh, feeling that, Hey, I'm just listening to my friend call the game who loves the Tar Heels in my case, just like I do if I was a listener. And right. so, um, you know, I had that with Woody growing up and then I hope people have that uh, with me and our team now. Um, and so that, that one was really special because I think it was the first major play where people thought, Hey, you know what? Okay. This guy, um, can handle this. And, and so, um, it was, uh, that's a fun memory certainly, uh, to think back on for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's something that you talk about that. I don't, I don't think I, I, if you're not a sports fan, you don't understand that per se. Cause I mean, I'm sure, you know, like Rob Bramlett passed away for Auburn right. as play by play. Like I remember, like I was like, in tears like actually upset because sure. i grew up he was calling he's called auburn games since 03 i was born in 96 like my entire life i've like heard rob family so i totally understand that with you know everything but 
man, that is a wrap on this interview. You were an awesome guest. You gave me like everything and more on every question. So that, that was awesome. But I'll, I want to give you a chance to plug all your social media, all your shows, anything you do. So I'll give you some time to do that now. Oh, yeah, and I appreciate it. So, um, you know, obviously we're on the Tar Heel Sports Network as where we call Carolina games. Um, in the state of North Carolina, we're over 40 stations in the state. You can find us online. We're goheels.com for that. Uh, tune in app, uh, SiriusXM, of course, all those different ways that we're calling all the games and have a great time doing that. Um, we do have a podcast that we have a bunch of fun. It's called the Carolina Insider. I host it with Adam Lucas, who covers Carolina uh, basketball in particular, but football also. We've ended up, uh, Zach, I got to tell you, we've had so much fun with that show. We're in year... Oh, five now, I think. And we do it oh, twice man. a week. And, you know, we have a guest on every single day. Um, and it's been really neat getting to talk with people around Carolina. But it's not just coaches and players. We well, you know, we'll talk to like John Grisham came in here and talked to us, the author, because he just loves ACC sports. And he came and sat down and talked with us. Um, we've talked to all kinds of people that have ties to Carolina, whether it's athletically or not. Of course, Carolina Athletics is is the tie to the show, but we always have fun guests, and that's been a bunch of fun. Um, so that's, again, called the Carolina Insider. Our Twitter uh, handle is at Carolina underscore pod. And then finally, my Twitter address, it's at Jones Angel. Angel has two L's at the end. That's confusing sometimes, but um, that's my <laughs> Twitter address where we try to keep you up to date on everything going on with the Tar Heels and the Tar Heels Sports Network. Yeah, so guys, definitely go check that out. Hopefully, you know, you can hear him call some big games this year, especially bowl games. I think Carolina is going to be a top 10 team this year. So, man, I, I hope you have a good basketball season, good football season. I know all that's coming up. We're hoping to have you on the show, hopefully during football season, man, when everything's kind of back in swing. So we definitely, definitely appreciate it. But, guys, you know where to find the Blue Bloods, all podcast streaming platforms. You can find the video version on our YouTube channel, but we'll be back next week with another ACC in 20 days. But for right now, guys, we are out. <laughs>